epistle of Jude, if you turn to it, we're going to just give you a week recap on last Bible study. And remember, Jude was written as a, what's been termed as a fiery cross to rouse the church. We looked at how the church today, 2020, um, especially when we're going through different changes and things that are happening. There's a lot of ecumenizing in the church, Romanizing in the church, Islamizing in the church, and Judaizing in the church. Instead of the church being a blood-bought, set-apart people on the Christ. And every form of ecumenism, that is the ecumenical movement, away from the truth of the scriptures, especially from the Reformed faith as we know it, bringing us into apostolic truths. And we find it's happening more and more. The church is becoming watered down because even the word of God has been changed so many times in the versions that people are reading. So someone takes a version and what they do is they add their thoughts and take it from the version rather than the textus receptus and the, 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 the original translations. And then it gets watered down as they do it one after the other and it becomes a perversion rather than even another version. And it becomes like you don't even realize what the word is. People come into a church with all sorts of manner of uh, translations or perversions of the word of God. And what you find is when someone gets up to read from the King James Bible, for example, no one understands what they're saying. And the word of God can be of none effect then because uh, everyone's confused and man has changed what uh, the Lord has given us. It was, remember, it's the King James Bible. Version is the book that changed the word. So what we find is there's a fiery cross to rouse the church, humanizing, watering down of the scripture, and then it goes on from there where then it's the worldliness comes into the church. And it's like someone says there's nothing as beautiful as seeing a, a, uh, an ocean liner sailing across the sea, but there's nothing so damning and terrible as to see the sea inside the ocean liner. And that's like the modern church today where the world has become so evident in the church. It's, it's hard to find the difference between some believers and some who say they are worldlings or ungodly. It's hard to find the difference now. And so this was a fiery cross to rouse the church, which was in early persecution, mainly, mainly at this point from the Jews, and then from pagan Rome after that, and so on, and throughout that time. So we looked at quite a bit last week, and we looked at how Jude is the servant, in verse 1, of Jesus Christ. We looked at that, the doulos, the love slave, we give you the references for that. And then we also looked at many other things. Um, we looked at how uh, Jude is another name for Judas or Judah comes from that. It comes from that too. And how he was a brother as to Mary of our Lord Jesus Christ to the flesh. Of course, his father, our Lord Jesus' father is God. But he, his father, we take it to be Joseph. And he also had we, know, we read about the brothers and sisters of our Lord Jesus Christ who were to the flesh line of Mary, of course. Our Lord had no father but God. 
And as we looked at that, we also looked at how then that um, debunks, if you want, the, the Roman Catholic teaching of the perpetual virginity of Mary, where then Mary is perpetually a virgin because she was a virgin girl, not being with a man gave birth to the Lord Jesus. He was her only child, they say. And so what happens is they venerate her. When they venerate her, and listen, as Protestants, I'm talking about blood-washed, blood-bought Christians, they should be respecting Mary. There's too many who call themselves Protestants who are lost in their sin, and they're not Protestants at all. And they call themselves that, maybe culturally at the very most. And what they do is they, they denounce Mary and they say things that are vile against Mary. But Mary is our Lord's mother whom he loved. So we should, we should respect her. Uh, but Mary was a sinner. She said, my soul, and Mary's magnificat, my soul doth magnify the Lord, and my spirit hath rejoiced in God my Savior. Only a sinner realizes they need a savior. And so Mary said that. Unfortunately, she is venerated. And some would even say she's co-redemptress with Christ. A co-redemptress with Christ. So uh, this Sunday morning in the Lord's will, I, I, I am on bringing out this redemption idea throughout the scripture where I'm looking at our kinsman redeemer. How Christ alone is the redeemer, looking from the redemption of Israel right through to the new covenant redemption through his blood. So God willing, that's what we'll look at on Sunday morning. And we, we think then of how with uh, many in the Roman Catholic Church, they venerate her and they say, well, she's co-redemptress with Christ. And co means with. So she was with him. A sword uh, would pierce through her soul. Of course it would. It was her son. She loved him. But they, they would link this then to this would be uh, place her in the heavenly realm, almost making her or adding her to the Godhead. So we, 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 of course, do not believe that. So the perpetual virginity of Mary is of the utmost importance to our faith. Or, pardon me, to their faith, and it is not to ours. We have to show that, that our Lord Jesus Christ had brothers and he had sisters. We looked at it last week. You'll have to go back. And listen to it because I can't bring you through it all again. Now, we also have looked at, let's just read the first couple of verses and then we'll, we'll, we'll come back to it. Jude, the servant of Jesus Christ, the brother of James, to them that are sanctified by God the Father and preserved in Jesus Christ and called. Mercy unto you and peace and love be multiplied. Now, we're going to Skip maybe across the, the, the little epistle a little in a moment. But here's where we finished last week. It was at the word preserved. Preserved. Notice what it says here. To them that are sanctified by God the Father and preserved in Jesus Christ and called. Now the word preserved where we finished up with last week is the word eterio. T-E-R-E-O is the phonetic English spelling. And it means to guard, to hold firmly, to watch. And here Jude uses it in what's known as a perfect participle. In other words, it gives the idea that the saints have been kept by God the Father and are kept until this present moment. They are the objects of the Father's watchful care. And hence, the Father is keeping us so that we might continue to be forever the possession 
of the Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. So if you're saved, I mean soundly saved, blood-washed, blood-bought child of God, you're then secured and you're sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. And when we read of the Holy Spirit of promise, you can read in that when you go home of Ephesians chapter 1, I think it's about verse, maybe 18 or before that. And when, when Paul writes that, the Holy Spirit of promise gives the idea of a down payment. A down payment, it means that you've been seen like a letter was sealed in wax, and it cannot be opened, read, nor broken until it reached its destination. And it's the down payment of the Spirit in us until our vile bodies are changed at Christ's coming and we enter his kingdom and until sin is no more, has the power over us. We're no longer in the presence of it. And so then we are full overcomers in it. And so we are sealed until the day of redemption. So we looked at that, Tariel. Let's look again here sanctified, we looked at that, by God the Father and preserved in Jesus Christ. That's where we finished and called. And called. Now, if I was to stop, start the whole way through this chapter, it would take us the next year to get through. There's only the one chapter, but it would take us the next year to get through it. So notice this. The word called is important here. It's the word kletos. K-L-E-T-O-S would be your English rendering. K-L-E-T-O-S. It gives the idea that you have been called or you have been invited to a banquet. It gives the idea of someone inviting another to a banquet. Will you turn with me to Matthew's Gospel, please? Chapter 22. Matthew's Gospel, chapter 22. And... Let's just start reading from verse 1. And Jesus answered and spake unto them again by parables and said, The kingdom of heaven is likened unto a certain king which made a marriage for his son and sent forth his servants to call them that were bidden to the wedding and they would not come. Again he sent forth all their servants saying, Tell them which were bidden, Behold, I have prepared my dinner, my oxen, my fatlings are killed. All things are now ready, come unto the marriage. But they made light of it, and went their ways, one to his farm, another to his merchandise. And the remnant took his servants, and entreated them spitefully, and slew them. When the king heard thereof, he was wroth, and he sent forth his armies, and destroyed those murderers, and burned up the city. Now let me stop here, we're going to stop here for this for a minute. Have this in your mind. Yes, we all, we understand, men and women are invited to come to Christ. We all were. And there are those who will reject it. And we can apply that to this. But that's not what it's meaning here. The idea is that the banquet is the marriage supper of the Lamb. The Son is the Lamb, the Lord Jesus Christ, telling the parable. And what he's saying is that he came, and he came unto his own, and his own received him not That was what is known as the southern kingdom of Judah. The Jews received them not. The northern kingdom of the house of Israel now come into this parable next. Look at verse 7. And remember, by the way, he slew them and burned them, their city. 
That's AD 70. The 10th Legion of Rome came under Titus and destroyed the temple and the city. See how Jesus is telling this before it happens, all in the parable. Verse uh, number 7. But when the king thereof heard his wrath and sent forth his armies and destroyed those murderers and burned up their city, then saith he to his servants, The wedding is ready, but they which were bidden are not worthy. Remember, Jesus says, There shall no fruit grow on thee, the fig tree, from hereafter. And so he turned, as it were, to the Gentiles, but really the Gentiles were the Gentilized northern kingdom of the house of Israel that were gone into captivity. Years ago, 750 years before or more. Notice what he goes on. He says, Go ye therefore into the highways, and as many as ye shall find bid to the marriage. What's the highways but going across the wilderness as it was known or called of Europe and into Scandinavia throughout time along the seas of the Mediterranean, the sea borders and the coast, preaching the word of God and calling them to the banquet, the marriage supper of the Lamb. And so we're still doing that because Christ has not yet come. Go ye therefore into the highways and as many as ye shall find bid to the marriage. So those servants went out into the highways and gathered together all as many as they found, both bad and good. Thank the Lord he chose a part as well, eh? Both bad and good. And the wedding was furnished with guests. And when the king came in to see the guests, he saw there a man not having on a wedding garment. And he saith unto him, Friend, how camest thou in hither not having a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Then said the king to the servants, Bind him hand and foot and take him away and cast him into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and a gnashing of teeth. Now notice this, verse 14, for many are called, but few are chosen. And what's the idea is here, we preach to every creature. Go ye therefore, preaching the gospel to every creature or all creation. Preach. And what does he do? He calls his chosen through it. He calls the elect. So you could be out in the street, or some of the guys that are going out in the street, there's street preachers popping up all over the place now. I think it's great that they're going out into the streets to preach. But notice this. They'll preach to so many people, but yet how many will actually be called? They'll call out, but how many will hear? How many will be given the ears to hear? Because it takes the Holy Spirit to give you the ability to come to Christ. So you didn't seek for him. You didn't choose him. He sought for you. And he chose you. I am not come but to seek the lost sheep of the house of Israel. The son of man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. So we were lost. And he came and he called. His spirit drew, quickened and regenerated us that we would come to saving faith in Christ. So what is the wedding garment but the righteousness of Christ? So that's why when the bridegroom cometh, will your robes be white, pure and white, in the blood of the Lamb. We have the righteousness of Christ as the wedding garment. We don't have our own wedding garments. All of our works are as filthy rags. So everything we have is like a filthy rag. And in fact, when Isaiah is saying that unto Israel on behalf of Yahweh, what he's saying is, and I don't mean to be crass or crude here, but the word there means, it gives the idea of what women used then as a, a menstrual rag. So as they would get the picture in their head, what this was. And a woman, through her menstrual cycle, was unclean. 
You, you couldn't even, if a woman bumped into you who was going through her menstrual cycle at the time, I mean, they, uh, and you were then unclean just by bumping into her. And that's why there's laws set out, even in Israel's laws, that how many days a man was to stay away from his wife through even a menstrual cycle and after it. The Word of God teaches it all, you know, it teaches us it all. And so when, when we have our rags, he says, your rags are like this. Your righteousness is like this. Your works are like this. And then he says, but you need the righteousness of Christ. So when we get saved, we give him our filthy rags. We give him our sins. And he took them on himself and gave us a wedding garment. Now I notice this. For many are called. It's the exact same word. And so it gives the idea and the Judas using the word in his epistle, if you want to turn back to it, you're preserved in Jesus Christ and you're called. And you're called. So it gives the idea to be called to a banquet, to a marriage supper. This call is what's known as the effectual call of God when we were lost sinners on the salvation. But listen to this. I want you to catch this. It speaks of us being willing to receive that which our nature rejects. I want to say it again. I want you to catch this. This call speaks of us being willing to receive that which our nature rejects. Everything in us, the depravity of our human nature from Adam, everything about us, rejects the word of God, rejects the gospel, rejects the Lord Jesus Christ. The flesh is at enmity with God. Everything about us. We are enemies of God until the Spirit of God calls us, quickens us, regenerates us, and we hear the call because God has given us the ears to hear. And we then receive the call which we normally would reject. One person, it's called irresistible grace in many times, many ways, where God wrestles with us and deals with us and calls us until we can resist him no longer. Notice one man once said, God does not save you against your will, but rather God makes you willing to be saved. He works in you until you receive Christ. And so because he's worked in you, see, you were given to his, he, he looked down through time, you were given to his son from the father. Chosen in Christ from before the foundation of the world. The son comes and gives his life for you. The spirit comes and then quickens you. Draws you to the cross and secures you back into God. Can you see that? So everything to do with our salvation from eternity, through time and the cross, through our life and service, through death and eternity, or the coming again of Christ, everything is off the Lord. Everything. I don't get when people think they do or they, they keep themselves because that is another form of salvation by work. Now, do we work to be saved? No. But do we work because we are saved? Yes. We serve him 
Because we love him. And that's where we looked at the servant of Jesus Christ, the doulos. Remember the man who, he was a Hebrew slave and he was taken after six years, got into his seventh, and he was told you can go free, but if he loved his master, the master took him to the, to the courthouse, if you want to call it, and he put an awl nail through his ear, hammered him right to the post, pulls it out, and he's got the mark forever that he belongs to a master. And he says, I love my master. I don't want to go free. Yet he's free to go. He can go to this town and go to that town. He can, but yet he comes home. He's always his master's slave. So he serves through love. We looked at that last week. Okay, so this word uh, means to call to a banquet. Let me look at the last. We always look at the, the law first mentioned. Let's go to the last mentioned in the book of Revelation of this word. God's word's amazing. You can just get lost in it for your life. <laughs> it's just amazing. You just get lost in it. Revelation 17. And let your eye run down, please, to verse 14. Revelation 17, verse 14. And these shall make war with the Lamb. And the Lamb shall overcome them, for he is the Lord of lords and the King of kings. And they that are with him are, notice, called. It's the same word. They were called to the marriage supper. They were given the ears to hear that which their natural flesh and fleshy carnal mind would reject. God hath chosen them. He had called them, chosen them, quickened them. Quickened them, and now they're in Christ. And right at the very end, they're still his. And faithful. So, here's something I want you to look at. We're going to just go on a little, a wee bit of a rabbit trail for a Go to Romans chapter 8, please. Romans chapter 8. We all know this verse. I'm sure we can nearly all quote it off by heart. Romans chapter 8 is probably one of the, one of the best chapters in the whole of Holy Writ, or the New Testament anyhow. Notice what it says in verse 28. And we know that all things work together for the good. And we all think that, don't we? We all quote that. And that's true, by the way. See the term to work together, by the way? It's a, it's a word, sunergio. S-U-N-E-R-G-E-O. S-U-N-E-R-G-E-O. And it's where we, it's, it's where we would get our, our word to come together to work for the best. For example, you get words like um, symphony comes where the music all comes together. Works for the best. Where muscles work together. I think the name is synthesis and it comes from these words. So notice here, verse 28, and we know that all things work together for the good. To them, that love God to them who are the called, to those who have received this divine calling, to those who are of divine choice of election. That's who it works together for, who love him because he first loved them. So notice here, it's the word called is the same according to his purpose. The word according is a word kata, 
K-A-T-A. And this is, it gives the idea of pressing down, pressing something down, or it gives the idea of a dominance, something of dominance, of a pressure. Okay, so when we think of it like this, to them who are the called, who have had this divine calling, who are kept in Christ with the dominance and the pressure of his purpose. His purpose. See the word purpose? It's the word prothesis. Prothesis. It gives the idea, believe it or not, it's used for the word showbread. It's used for the word showbread. So, for example, in the tabernacle and then later in the temple, there would have been 12 loaves of the showbread, each one for a tribe of Israel. They sat out in the table for seven days. I wouldn't like to try it after that one. And those seven days, the idea was they were on show. So the purpose of God, those who have been given this calling to the banquet, this divine calling to salvation, he says it all worked together for the good according to the, the dominance of God's purpose. In other words, he will show it out. He will prove it forth. And it will come to pass. It's not powerful. Now notice verse 29. For whom he did for no. Oh dear. He foreknew us. You know I have Christians, some Christians saying, you know, when he was on the cross, I was on his mind. Well sure, if he didn't foreknow you then, how would he know Of course he knew you. Of course he, for whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate. Pre means before, destinate means to have a destiny. Simple. To be conformed. The conform to the image of a son, it means not to be affected with outward appearance to come to the fact the inside, but that which is on the inside, the effect the out. So the sun in you, you're being conformed and changed in your life. And that's the, that's the purpose being shown like the showbread. So for example, to be, let me just finish that verse. That he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called... And whom he called, them he also justified. And whom he justified, them he also glorified. That looks like salvation from eternity to eternity to me. He knew it all. He done it all. He keeps it all. It's all in him, through him, by him, and for him. And there's nothing of ourselves. Do we walk right? Absolutely we should. If we love him, we'll walk right. If we love him. So turn with me, while we're on this word purpose, just for showbread, turn with me to the book of Ephesians quickly. Ephesians uh, chapter 1. By the way, seal by the Holy Spirit of promises, verse 13, while we're turned there. Just, it's in verse 13. So the word here, prothesis, means to be set forth like showbread. Ephesians 1, verse 11. 
Ephesians chapter 1, read it when you go home or when you get a chance. It is mighty. In whom, speaking of Christ, we also have obtained inheritance, an inheritance. Being predestinated, there's that word again, according, kata, with a dominance, to the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will. Where's your will in that? Where's your will in that? It's not there. It's his will. All of it has been done because of him. The word again here for purpose, the domination of his purpose, his prothesis. Chapter 3 and 11. According to the eternal purpose, there's the word again, which he purposed in Christ Jesus our Lord. Again, he's going to have an eternal showbread. What on earth do you mean eternal showbread? This word here, prothesis, comes from a word prothesome. Romans chapter 3, please. Go back the way. Romans chapter 3. I'm just picking this out to try and form something for you. And let your eye run down to verse 23. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That's you and me. Being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Notice, in Christ Jesus, going on from verse 24 to 25, notice that the flow keeps going. Whom? God, that is, Christ Jesus, whom God hath. So we're speaking of the Lord Jesus Christ here. Whom God hath set forth to be the propitiation through faith in his blood to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are past through the forbearance of God. See the term there, whom God hath set forth. It's the same word where we get it, prothesis. Uh, It's the root word, prothesome. It's it's the exact same as setting forth the showbread. When Christ was on the cross, notice the Father gave us to a son in eternity past, through eternity, through the Adam and his fall in the garden, through all the way through Noah and Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Israel and the twelve tribes and all of that, right through to Jesus coming from Judah, the whole way through that, right to the cross. It's like the father on the table on a cross of wood says, there's my showbread. There's the showbread. That's the idea of it. There's my purpose. The glorification, the salvation of the soul. Know what it is? It's for the glorification of the father through Christ. He glorifies himself. He glorifies his son. Sometimes men want the glory themselves rather than see the glory of Christ. So, Jude, I think we'll move on from there. Everybody still with me, okay? Yeah, okay. Jude. Chapter, pardon me, verse 2. Only is one chapter. Mercy unto you. 
Notice, mercy unto you. Do you know why we need mercy? We always think of grace. We love to hear of grace. To receive that which we do not deserve. Unmerited favor. But do you know why we need mercy? Because mercy nullifies justice. And satisfies it. Pardon me. Nullifies judgment and satisfies justice. So mercy is when we do not get what we did deserve. We hear of justice, justice. God is an unjust God. Listen, see if, see if God was to mete out justice in the earth, there'd be none of us left. Not one of us. Not one single solitary person. Speaking of the Pope and all. Mother Teresa, speaking of the Archbishop of Canterbury. <laughs> he's, he's, he's probably more laughable at the minute. Speaking of them all. But when mercy finds you, it nullifies the judgment because it's already been paid for. Christ took which we should have took. We received the wedding garment and we received mercy. We did not get that which we did deserve. Mercy unto you and peace and love be multiplied. Now, I'm going to just jump across this because of so much stuff. Here's something I want you to write down if you can. If you can't, you can listen later when it goes online and you can write it down. In relation, or God in relation to our salvation, okay? God in relation to our salvation. We've been speaking about it from we started. So with the Father, it's predestination. With the Father, it's predestination. With the Son, it's propitiation. In other words, propitiation means God's wrath is averted. Propitiation is the mercy seat. So the lid of the Ark of the Covenant was the, the actual lid was the propitiation where the blood was sprinkled. It was the mercy seat. And we're told that Christ is a propitiation for our sins. He is our mercy seat. And just as we've explained, he took on him that which we should have had. And so he took on us that which he did have. So the Father's predestination, the Son is propitiation, and the Spirit is regeneration. All in relation to our salvation. It's starting to rhyme here, isn't it? Like a poem there. All in relation to our salvation. Or we can put it this way. The Father chose us. The Son died for us. And the Spirit quickened us. Or if you want, we can put it this way. The Father was concerned about us. The Son shed his blood for us. And the Spirit performs his work in us. You see God in relation to our salvation. Lastly, what one did was eternal. What the other did was external. And what the Spirit does is internal. Okay. I'm going to bring a little point out here. And when I bring this out, um, I think we'll stop and have a time of prayer. We'll sing something, have a time of prayer.
when you go through this letter, so this is a fiery cross to rouse the church, is to say, wake up, church. Wake up, sleepy people. Come on, get together. This is what your salvation is. This is all that he's done for you. Everything is entailed in this. Now, notice, verse 4 speaks of men that crept in unawares. You know the idea is somebody slipped in the side door. That's the idea of it. Somebody slipped in the side door. And then when we look in verse 5, we see how the Lord saved the people of Israel out of the land of Egypt. Notice Old Covenant. In verse 6, we have the angels who kept not their first estate, but left their own habitation. And he hath reserved an everlasting chains under darkness under the judgment of the great day. And it would take too long to unpack all of these. And then in verse 7, we have even as Sodom and Gomorrah and her cities about them in like manner. So in other words, it wasn't just Sodom and it wasn't just Gomorrah. It was the cities all round about. So it was a devastation to more. You know, it shows you sin spreads. It's happening today, isn't it? You can see it in the, this communist, Marxist, liberal, left, socialist world that we are living in. It spreads like wildfire. Every sin, heterosexual, homosexual, everything spreads like wildfire. So it wasn't just Sodom, as we think, and Gomorrah. It was all the cities round about. He burnt up the whole lot. Notice, giving themselves over to fornication, going off their strange flesh, are set forth in his example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. Now note this. We have Israel and Egypt, angels in their habitation, we have Sodom and Gomorrah. Now notice, the people will say, God doesn't keep you when he saves you. You have to walk like a robot zombie all your days, and if you look to the left hand or to the right, or you sin once, you're lost, and God's fell out with you. Scriptures aren't telling me that, and they use this to say that. For one, he brought them out of Egypt. And he's linking this to when the spies went out, and they were going to go over into the promised land, and they walked around, and they died. See, they were lost. That's not what it means. God's word tells us that some men's sins and punishment goes before them in this life. In other words, sometimes God takes you out of the picture that you don't sin anymore. There's a man in in the Corinthian church who had his father's wife. That's not his birth mother, but a father's wife. And know what the Lord said, or Paul said? He says, I've left him over for Satan to destroy the flesh that the spirit might be saved. This man won't live in a sin anymore. We'll take him off the scene. I note this. Here we find as well the angels, oh, they fell, but the angels weren't redeemed. The angels had a choice in heaven. Adam had a choice in Eden. Adam fell. Adam died. And it took Christ again to come to revive us to life. When we read through the scriptures, we're told that the angels desired to look into the things of salvation because they don't understand it because those angels were never saved. Are they never given a second chance? This isn't about you and I and God with a big stick going to beat you up. Listen, if we were, and please don't get me wrong, I believe in walking before God. I live my life the best I can. 
I, I order my steps the best that I can to love the Lord, to walk before the Lord. But I can tell you, I'm a man of flesh and blood and I fail him all the time. I don't do it. I don't live in a habitual uh, way of sinning. I don't walk in an open course of sin. I don't, I'm not one of those, well, you know what, I'll do what I want. I'll live how I like. And the blood, will, sure, the blood's paid for it and I'm living in grace. Listen, brother, sister, see a man who a woman continually lives like that. I don't know if they're saved at all or ever were. Or ever were. But if you're saved, and when we are wrong, the Spirit has already seen you. And at some point, if it's not right away, He starts to speak to you. Oh, no, where am I in this world? What am I doing in this life? I'm a prodigal, and I better get home to my father. Note this. Sodom and Gomorrah were never his in the first place. They were never his in the first place. When we look at Michael, the archangel, verse 9, when he contended with the devil and disputed about the body of Moses, durst not bring a railing accusation against him. If you want to uh, get a reference, we'll not quote it now. Uh, mark down Deuteronomy 34. And, um, verse 6 will tell you that Moses' body, they couldn't, they didn't mark, it wasn't marked and they didn't know where he was buried. So this is where Judah's bringing this. By the way, some of this stuff that's coming out of this is actually coming out of the book I mentioned last week, the book of Enoch. which would have been in the Apocrypha, which has been taken out. And so some of, them, some of this has actually been in, taken from that too. Where am I going to finish? Tell you what, I'll finish here. Verse 11, Woe unto them, for they have gone the way of Cain, and ran greedily after the error of Balaam for reward. And perished again, saying, of course. See the error of Balaam. There's a study for you. Cain, Balaam, and Korah. Korah were the, were, was a, a family grouping of a tribe who were in the wilderness, Israelites in the wilderness, and they tried to usurp the, the authority of Moses. When we think of Cain, we know Cain killed Abel. And of Balaam, Balaam was a prophet who... Um, tried to curse Israel. And all he could see was Israel covered by God in the blood. And he says, I can't curse them because God's blessed them. But you know how he got them to fail? He tempted them with women. That's what he did. Brought women in, and the Israelite men started to look. Verse 12, this is where we'll finish. These are spots in your feasts of charity. When they feast with you, feeding themselves without fear, clouds they are without water, carried about of wind, trees whose fruit withereth, without fruit, twice dead, plucked up by the roots. Sounds good, doesn't it? See the word, these are spots. Underlined spots. If I was to say to you, spots in your face, you're going to think, I'm sure, I can't speak for all of you. But you might think, I know what this is. 
This is something wrong that went wrong with maybe the Feast of Tabernacles or Passover or something. That's not what it means. The feast here that they're speaking about is when the early church came together and at meals together. And actually our brother Kevin prayed about a love feast earlier on. This is what it was, Kevin. It was a love feast. And they had... They had the feast together, they prayed together, they worshipped together. And part of the eating, the feasting was part of the worship. Now notice this. The word spots here is a word spilas. S-P-I-L-A-S for your English spelling. It's a, it's a little hard to work out for some translators why they put spots because it sounds like spilas. And it is a spot in a sense, but do you know what it really means? Some of the Greek, some of the Greek uh, authorities, what they'll do is they'll go into secular um, writings of the time if they can't find the full meaning of these things. So, for example, Paul would have went into secular writings in Greece because he wanted to know what charis was. I've taught you about that before, and I'll go into it again. And brought it in for by grace, by charis, he is saved. Something having a property that you don't pay for. That was it in a nutshell. And what they do as well, they go into this and they went into secular writing. So Homer's Odyssey, book 3, page 298, uses the word here and it's actually, instead of spillas, it's spirit. I think that's how I pronounce it. And so they were able to say, we know what these spots were. Do you know what it gives the idea of? Rocks hidden under the sea. They're in shallow water and you can't see them. It's like there are those who come in among you and they're dangerous rocks hidden under the sea. And the ships crash into them. It means you become shipwrecked because of these spots who've come in saying they love, they love Christ, they love the word, they love you, they love each other. And the ship hits the rocks because of it. That's the idea of it. And the Christian love feast. Brothers and sisters, to close this study, let's be aware of the rocks. The spots in our feast Let's be aware of the rocks, the spots in our lives, the underwater, shallow water rocks that can shipwreck you, shipwreck your walk, shipwreck the church. We'll stop there. God bless you this evening.